Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Brett and Lex from Brexworks Games, a board game publisher based out of Arizona. Their flagship game, Holotype, is a fun, dynamic, science-based strategy game about paleontology. Brett, Lex, welcome to The Binge. How are you guys doing? Great. Thank you so much for having Good. us. Thanks. Oh, it, is, it is awesome to have you guys. Um, man, I am, I, ever since I was a kid, I absolutely loved uh, paleontology and, uh, and loved uh, dinosaurs. And anytime I see any kind of game like that, it's like, uh, it's kind of like that squirrel thing, right? I just I do a double take and, uh, and want to check it out. And this game was no different. And I found you guys uh, on Kickstarter, just perusing through the games that were up and coming. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to get these guys on the podcast. Right. So for, for starters, how do you guys know each other? Well, what's the, what's the connection? Well, um, I moved uh, with my wife uh, from Philadelphia to Arizona, um, maybe about four years ago. Um, and at that point, you know, don't have any friends, need to start a whole new uh, social circle. So best way to do that, the local gaming store. So I uh, found uh, on Meetup, they had uh, it's, uh, our favorite Funkatronic Rex uh, in Phoenix. They have a, uh, uh, it was a weekly game night. So just start going there, meeting some friends. And then I met Brett. So uh, it's unsurprisingly through gaming is, <laughs> is right. how we meet each other, you know? <laughs> Love of board games. Yep. And then, uh, so and what were you, like, what do you guys do kind of outside of board games? Like what's your, you know, like, what do you guys do for like for work and things like this? Uh, I have a I have a day job um, that uh, you know keeps me keeps me pretty busy. I'm a corporate recruiter, um, oh, nice. basically interviewing people all day long. So oh, that's fun, it, isn't it? Though, <laughs> so that, so that's what I do. Uh, I'm a software engineer, so I've done that for years. Uh, computer science background, hence the uh, Python program that play tested the game ten thousand. Yeah, times. we're gonna get into that in a moment too because I have some questions <laughs> on that, which is pretty cool. Um, so, so neither, I, I assumed one of you guys would have been like a paleontologist or worked at like had some kind of association with the museum or, or something, but you guys have nothing re remotely related to that or do you? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, so this is the, this is the book that my grandfather got me from the library in LA. Nice. It was written in the 1950s and it was a dinosaur book that I read ever since I was like six years old. Of course he probably should have returned it, but. <laughs> um, so I've always been into dinosaurs and stuff. That was my, like any kind of birthday gift or something. It was like, I want dinosaur books. So my family did that. And then when I went off to college, um, I went to UC Berkeley and they have a really great paleontology department. So all my electives were like paleontology, geology, and all that kind of stuff. So it's always been a passion on the side. Nice. And so then how did, um, so you guys start gaming together, right? So, you know, meet friends like most people do. And I got a game night I go to on a weekly basis as well. And I've made a lot of great friends there. How do you take that leap from playing games and socializing to say, you know what, I think, well, why don't we create a game together? How did, how did that come together? Well, I, the, the, that story goes from Lex and I becoming friends and me having done a personality test and figuring out that I'm an INTP, 
and Lex had done one and he's an INTJ. And those apparently are some of the best combos of working together on projects. Okay. So I'm like, <laughs> hey, do you want to work on a board game? Like, we should totally do this. Yeah. This the science dictates that we should be working together. <laughs> exactly. So oh, that sounds great to me. So yeah. So that's it's it's and it's true. It's pretty much how it started. And uh yeah, Brett was uh, saying, I have this idea, um, want to work on a, a game about dinosaurs, and we just started spitballing, and then the pandemic happened. Uh, so we had lots of times on, time on our hands to talk about these things and to throw ideas out there and um, really embrace the virtual uh, for a lot of this. Um, so we'll, um, and it might be getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, Brett was able to very successfully teach himself how to set up Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, so we did yeah. a whole, bu whole bunch of testing. Lots that of play way. testing. Thankfully, uh, Brett is definitely the tech guy um, mm -hmm. for uh, uh, for our company, effectively. So, but but yeah, it's um, it just all really started from there. For anybody out there listening, what I would say is that Tabletop Simulator is a, gr and we've talked about it many times on the podcast. It really is a great uh, way to to play test and prototype your your game, right? So you you can keep iterating um, by just re-uploading the newest artwork, right? So you get some feedback from some friends and family and whoever you have to play test, make some changes that night. The next day, your your game is updated. That is vastly superior to the classic, you know, printing and cutting out with paper, you know, with scissors and taping things and gluing things together. So. We we have those too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It started that way, but Tabletop Simulator, to your point, made it so much easier to rapidly prototype. And it yeah. was that once we did it that way, I was like, that's the way we'll do it from now on for any kind of rapid prototyping. And what yeah. I'd also say about that too is that um, I don't want people out there thinking that you have to be a tech genius to, to use Tabletop Simulator. Mm -hmm. um, if you know how to use YouTube, uh, you should be able to figure out tabletop simulator, like literally just Google tabletop simulator 101, you know, or, or, um, if there's something specific you're trying to figure out, just Google it. You can do probably 95% of what, uh, people can do on tabletop simulator very, very quickly. It is very user-friendly and, um, it's just an amazing tool. So it's cool to see that you guys took advantage of that did, yeah. with your, with your play group that you guys were playing. Like, did you actually have a larger group that you're playing with and were you yep. able to play test with them a lot or? Yeah, and we were able to not just play test with those folks, but yeah. um, there are folks that um, also from my uh, you know expatriate Philadelphia, you know uh, my uh, all my friends back in Philadelphia were able to uh, uh, ask them to join us and uh, play testing. Some folks who have moved away, um, rekindling those uh, friendships through Tabletop Simulator. So it's it's great because it's not just virtual. It's great because it doesn't matter what time zone you're in, just as long as you're awake, you know, mm. uh, to be able to play test. So um, uh, it's, uh, but then also we, uh, we're throughout this entire process um, for um, just information gathering, uh, connection, making connections, we formed a relationship with the uh, Southwest Paleontological Society as well. Um, cool. And we're able to get some play testing with the uh, technical experts to get their opinions and get their thoughts. Um, but so it's been uh, really beneficial uh, using tabletop. What scenario. was some of the feedback that, like, when you talk to the professionals, like, what was some of the feedback that they gave you? Were they very receptive at the beginning, or was there some things where they said, "Guys, like, you got to change this. This doesn't make any sense." Like from from our perspective. Well, um, first off, they're, they're incredibly excited uh, because yeah. it wasn't a game about um, dinosaur wrestling matches. 
so to, lack of a better term. So it's actually about paleontology, yeah. doing the work, finding fossils, conducting research, and publishing papers. And that, that's that's you know that so much of what paleontology is. So that type of feedback uh, was incredibly positive. But then working specifically with technical salt consultants, digging into the details, um, they were able to steer us in some uh, you know directions that we didn't know we need to, to go into. There's uh, some corrections that we had to make as a result. So, so what's the yep. big one? What's the big correction you made based on the feedback? Uh, the biggest correction, which uh, caused the most change to uh, graphics and stuff like that was um, we have four different types of specimens within game, in the game, which is the, the clades or types of uh, dinosaurs. And we have marine reptiles, because those aren't technically dinosaurs. We have theropods, we have sauropods, your long necks. And we used to have something called uh, ornithopods, which covered a, a large group of your, you know, duckbill dinosaurs, your, okay. all that kind of stuff. But we found out that some of those were technically that we had in the game were not ornithopods. They were of a uh, another clade that encompassed all those, which is the genosaurs. So we had to ch completely change that thing, which <laughs> changed all our rule book, changed all our graphics. So some, some major stuff like that. Most of our other stuff was like, oh, the dates might be wrong on this, or this yeah. one might not be found in this location, or this formation is really not in this state. But that was the major one that was like, oh, okay, that changes like 50% of our cards had to change <laughs> graphically because of that. So well, it's kind of important though, too. And I think it's accuracy is super important for this game. Anytime yeah. you can get subject matter experts to weigh in on on a game is always a good thing, right? And you're seeing a lot more of this in the industry, I find as well, where um, people get even cultural experts, right? So they'll, they'll have a game and if it's based on a certain region or a certain um, classic culture, they'll actually have, um, you know, people who are experts in that area, they consult them, right? To make sure that A, yeah. they're getting it right and B, they're not being offensive, right? right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I know it's tough to be offensive in, in uh, something like dinosaurs, but certainly you can get it wrong. Right. And, yeah, uh, you know, you know, and, and the way you've approached it, and, I, and we mentioned this a little bit just uh, before we went on air, air here, what I was impressed with, with this game and what attracted me to it was it was a very different angle than I've seen with classical dinosaur games. Right. Mm -hmm. So paleontology games are usually about digging stuff or, you know, collecting things. And, and they're usually kind of simple, very kid-like mechanics I find in a lot of those types of games, which is okay. You know, they're, they're meant for yep. kids and meant as family games. This one here where you're kind of taking it from a paleontologist career angle, I thought was, was quite enticing, right? So you're trying to actually yeah. publish papers and, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're collecting, um, you know, fossils, but also I think you have like these research cubes or something like that. And as a combination of different things, um, as you're kind of placing your workers, the, you know, around the, the, the board, um, to, to, you know, kind of advance your career, I guess, as a paleontologist or, or eventually publish enough papers that it triggers the end of the game. Another thing that was kind of cool in there too is you had like uh, scientists, and then you have like your um, uh, like your students, I guess, right? And if you're bumping somebody, if you're senior to them, you're bumping them, right? And yep. uh, and, and the junior <laughs> guys can't bump the senior guys, which I thought was kind of fun. So, yeah, it got me really excited when I saw it. Maybe I'm going to share on my screen the actual um, uh, your Kickstarter page. First of all, I just want to congratulate you guys. You have. Uh, still 12 days ago, um, but you've already hit, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because it's the only way I can see it. Uh, yep. Almost $32,500 on a $31,500 goal. So you've, you've crossed the uh, threshold. That must be very exciting for you guys. I'm sure it's very. brought a lot of relief. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
that's the right word for it. <laughs> uh, it's never yeah. fun to, uh, to, to do those, uh, you know, be chasing kind of the dragon at the end. Right. So, mm-hmm. so good for you, you guys on that, uh, still 12 days to go. Um, walk us through kind of the essence of how you play this game. So again, I have it on my screen here. Um, okay. and I'm going to just kind of scroll over as you're kind of talking to the game, hopefully by memory, if that's cool. Yeah, so um, I'm going to, Brett, you always do such a good job at that one. So I'm going to put you yeah, on the spot. You want to put me on the spot? Okay. Yep. Uh, basically, you're uh, leading a paleontology department, and your the three types of workers you have are your paleontologist, your grad student, and your field assistant, which you then place out on the different areas of the board to gather fossil cubes or research and that kind of stuff. So the field expedition is the one where you would go to to gain your fossil cubes, which are going to be the three time periods of the Mesozoic, which are your Triassic, which are the purple, your Jurassic, the blue, and Cretaceous, or the green. And then going there allows you to draw a field expedition card that you will then turn over that will give you different colored dice to roll. And that's how you generate those fossil cubes. Um, the university library is where you'll generate the white research cubes. And each specimen card of a dinosaur or marine reptile will require a certain amount of those to uh, pay back to the supply when you go to the publishing journal and then turn your specimens into published holotypes. Um, and then let's see, the last location uh, specimen lab lets you get more of those cards. And then the last location on the board is the museum collections, which you can then exchange fossils if you're not getting the right kind of colors or that kind of thing. Um, and then Everybody starts with a personal objective, which will be uh, additional way to get victory points besides the uh, published specimens. Um, and that's usually where you're trying to get like certain types of like you might need to get is published theropods or published sauropods. And then the last way to get um, victory points at the end of the game is the global objectives, which are kind of a semi-collaborative thing where you as a group of paleontologists are furthering the science by uh, figuring out stuff about cladistics or systematics and all that kind of stuff. The goal was kind of to put enough stuff in there to where people would be like, if they know a lot about paleontology, they'll go, oh, I get where this is going. And if they don't, they might be like, cladistics, what's that? And then look it up online and kind of learn something about the field. So I'm going to start with something very basic. And uh, this might seem like a dumb question. We're going to ask it anyways. What is a holotype? A holotype is the first... uh, published specimen. It's the first specimen that describes that new species. Mm. So any kind of, so in, in publishing the first description in publishing of uh, a a new species, the skeleton or the specimen they used is called the holotype. That's cool. And was this something that was kind of the name from the beginning? Was that always the intent or is it something through your research? You're like, Oh, that'd be a cool name for the game. That's been the name from the beginning, for sure. Ever since yeah. ever since that idea came, I think uh, Lex was like, what, what are we doing? I'm like, holotype. So <laughs> I've never, never heard that word. Let me do a, let me do a search on that. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's a, doesn't, the holotype board game doesn't come up uh, at all. Let's, let's do, let's do that. So um, yeah, that's about one of the only things that hasn't, <laughs> that hasn't changed uh, since the development of the game, to be, to be honest, there was uh, a lot of, um, it's a uh, game has evolved, I guess, as to, you know, to, to, yeah, mechanically. To yeah. Mechanically it's uh, evolved a lot. It's um, started one direction. We went another one. Um, turned out the worker placement was the, the best approach. So um, and we just took it from there. The, the one thing I would say, and uh, you know, the words is tough when you're, when you describe, so if people listening versus seeing, 
Um, but I think it's important to point out that while it sounds very sciencey, um, for lack of a better word, um, it, it certainly seems accessible, if that's fair. Um, right. So if you look at like the, um, uh, you know, the, the worker placement, I'm showing the graphics again on the, on the screen here. And I mean, the artwork is great. It seems pretty intuitive on, on the playing. Um, you can probably draw some similarities to other game types that, you know, under other themes, you know, standard worker placements, quite frankly. So I just want to kind of throw that out because I think yeah. it's important to note that this seems very accessible to me. Like this is a game. I think that anybody that has any interest in dinosaurs could probably pick up fairly easily and, and play. And they're probably actually gonna learn some stuff along the way, but yeah, it, it, it's not scary. It does definitely seem approachable. Is that, is that fair or was that yeah. by design? Oh, I- Absolutely. And that's very deliberate uh, by design um, for a, a couple of reasons. First off, we wanted to make sure that um, the the game was pretty much icon driven. Um, so everything that on the board, there'll, it, there'll be an explanation as far as, you know, it, it'll say publishing journal. But what uh, the workers can do, because um, each worker can do something a little bit differently, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all listed out on the board. Um, uh, so we wanted to make accessible that way. Uh, we wanted to make it accessible with the uh, icons of the diets. Uh, so carnivore versus herbivore, uh, the various yeah. clades, um, uh, accessible that way. But then also we very deliberately wanted to make it, um, it's, uh, we've penned it a light strategy game. Um, yeah. So it's accessible in that way too, uh, where we didn't want to just make it for the, uh, the hobby gamer of where um, it's like, explaining the rules and at 45 minutes all right any questions you know it's we didn't want to make it that kind of game we yeah. wanted to make it uh very accessible to uh new gamers sports, yeah uh, make it very family friendly um and also to in some respects make it a little bit of a gateway um type of yeah. game uh into um other games so that uh parents who are, are you know our age you know who yeah. have kids they want to share their love of gaming with their kids. So as opposed to introducing them to uh, 18xx, love those games, but very, very crunchy. This yeah. way, it's a little bit more accessible to them. It's worker placement. They could they could pick it up quickly. And also, we have it so that a lot of the rules can be taken out to even simplify the game more. Mm. Uh, so that way... Um, uh, really young kids with adult supervision with uh, at least telling them how to do sure. how to do things they can place their their workers publish dinosaurs and then that's wonderful hooray and then you know the person with the most points wins as opposed to the some of the other crunchy parts too so um so accessibility is huge uh, when designing the game yeah for sure it yeah. um like you, you guys explained it I, I think it was in like there's a video on your page. It's like 15 minutes long and where you explain it and play like a couple rounds. So literally the explanation, I think was like five minutes. Like it was very quick. So yeah. very, very easily to explain how to play this game. I think if somebody's looking to play for the first time um, in that video, like, was it like, is it in like at a museum or something? Where did you guys film that? That was actually um, thanks to our uh, the good friends that we made through the Southwest yeah. Paleontological Society. Uh, that was at the Arizona Museum of Natural History uh, in Mesa, Arizona. So we were able to um, owe a couple favors, uh, and uh, they were very, very nice of us, uh, very nice to uh, allow us access on a Sunday morning and uh, 
film for four hours for 15 minutes of footage. You know, that's the way, yeah. it, that's the way it goes. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, we could not have been uh, happier uh, with that opportunity at that location. So it's, uh, we're, we're thrilled. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing location. Like their their dioramas and all the stuff they have there is is really cool. It's yeah. probably one of the coolest backgrounds I think I've seen somebody do <laughs> on a Kickstarter. Uh, you know, with an intro page, uh, and then your your actual who did your animation for you on your your actual uh, like the main video for the Kickstarter page? You did the animation. Wow. Yeah, I've I have learned way too much Photoshop, Illustrator, and Blender in the last two years <laughs> so wow that, yeah that was that was me that is crazy so talk so you're obviously a technical guy right mm -hmm. and and so talk to me about the the python system first of all explain to people what it is and then talk about why you used it so python is just a another programming language um it's really well suited to mocking stuff up really quickly and doing a lot of stuff really fast, uh, number crunching and stuff. And the reason I developed it was we wanted to, in developing the game, there's a ton of math and spreadsheets that go into probability and the point values to get the balance right. We want a game right. that's well balanced so that someone's just not, does a particular strategy and just runs away with it and there's nothing that can be done. Um, so a lot of those math assumptions we're done. We play tested. We realize that something's broken. We go back and change them and we fix them. And then when we got to the point, okay, we really want to see what happens over a huge data set of, is this objective broken? Or is this personal objective, whoever gets this one is just going to get too many points, that kind of thing, or is, is the probability messed up? So I wrote this program in Python to basically play the game um, thousands and thousands of times within a minute so that we could compile this kind of data and then look at it and go, okay, is anything out of whack? What do we need to adjust in that, in that kind of stuff? And um, what's shown on the Kickstarter is when it, the graphics are running, so it's playing that thing maybe, you know, a couple games a second, but once you turn the graphics off, it plays like 10,000 in like two minutes. And then it's just a matter of spitting out the data and making it into a graphical form that we can actually get something useful out of it. Yeah, and, and we had a lot of suspicions about um, how the numbers worked and how the, the points were. And okay, if we went this direction, could you win as opposed to going this direction? But uh, with that, it gave us the, the, the numbers and data that we needed to, um, to verify that no, one direction is not better than another. Uh, because I think it was uh, about, what, 50-50 uh, completing global objectives versus uh, holotypes? Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting uh, thing in the game. There's, there's two ways the games can end. You either uh, publish, everybody combined published a certain number of holotypes, and then the game's instantly over, or a certain amount of global objectives are filled, mm. and then the game can be over. Um, what's interesting is in a two-player mode, that doesn't happen as often because the more cards, they're higher levels to get those out, and you want to be able to have that end case not happen really quick at a five-player game, and there's a lot more published cards for that to happen. So it was interesting seeing the data from that. It was like, okay, in a two-player game, that end condition only happens about 5% of the time. And then it goes up in a three player and then it goes up in a four player. And then about the, in the five player game, it's about 50, 50, where half the time it's ending because 
there's been enough uh, holotypes published. Mm-hmm. And then half the time it's ending because enough global objectives. So that's what's interesting about a five players. You're like, as you're getting closer to like the end game based on the track, you're like, uh, but it still might end sooner based on the global objectives. And I got to make sure I play that right. So that was a really interesting thing once we got the the numbers from that to see what what that breakdown was. That's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Did you actually make any changes based on that data or the data verify that you're kind of on the right track? It verified most of them. There were mm-hmm. a couple things that it, that it, that it changed and it was very slight value changes. It was like, okay, we want to bump this up, you know, five, 10%, that kind of thing. But most of, most of the major uh, math changes came from in-person play testing and then, and then seeing that and, and going back and adjusting our formulas in, in our spreadsheets to reflect what was happening. So this being your first title uh, that you guys have done, um, what was one of the, the, the bigger sources uh, for you going in for getting your backers? Like, where did you guys go first? Was it your immediate community or did you have any kind of society you could tap into at all? Or uh, There were some. Uh, we'd uh, reached out to other pale- uh, paleontological societies um, to uh, yeah. share that interest. Um, but we, uh, we do have uh, a Facebook page that we started as well. Oh, um, nice. Probably uh, should have started a little bit earlier uh, <laughs> than we should have, but uh, and an Instagram as well. So it's uh, Brexworks Games. Uh, that's that's what it is for both. Um, but uh, that's really where we started getting the word out um, yeah. and doing you know the Facebook advertising um, and uh, really just uh, getting the word out uh, that the, the the game was on its way. It's one of the biggest challenges I've seen um, with with games in general is the assumption I think for a lot of people would be, and I'll take example as Nutty Squirrels is a game Nutty Squirrels the Oakwood Forest that we had published last year, and you know the assumption going in is is oh is squirrel enthusiasts will will get behind this game and love it, right? So you want to reach out to all these different groups that are squirrel enthusiasts. The challenge is is a not all all squirrel enthusiasts play board games. Right. And even those that do may not have any idea what Kickstarter is or how to do how to back something on Kickstarter. And it, it, it's something that's kind of new and foreign to them. And, you know, you can kind of get into that trap to focus too hard on some of those, lean too hard into some of those channels where I think like you're saying, you know, the classic Facebook, getting out to people who are involved in Kickstarters who may have some adjacent uh, interests, uh, like someone like myself, like in paleontology and, and love dinosaurs and things like that from a kid and hoping that to kind of tap into that group and make sure you get that kind of Venn diagram where they also are the ones that interconnect and are the right. ones that uh, also are familiar with the Kickstarter platform. Cause it is a bit of a beast for someone who hasn't ever been on it before. I remember my first game and I had family members and they're like, I-, I can't figure this thing out. I don't know what to do. Right? Can you give me an instruction sheet on how how to do a pledge? And for me, it seemed pretty intuitive, but it wasn't right, right? for people that haven't mm-hmm. done it for the first time. So, yeah, it's crazy. So, where do you guys go from here? Like, like so after this game is done, um, are so now that I know you're not paleontologist, uh, I assume that maybe <laughs> you have some other ideas in gaming that you may want to get into. Mm-hmm. Are you going into another theme, another direction, or is this one going to have other iterations or kind of what's your plans for, for Brex, Brexworks? Um, well, uh, we, we're, we're gamers, so we have lots of ideas for lots of games. Yeah, it's like some of them are half-baked, some of them are not. Um, that would be outside of um, Holotype. But um, people have rightfully uh, or correctly been 
uh, asking the question, so this is Mesozoic North America. Will there be Mesozoic Europe? And, yeah. and the answer is yes. Um, because uh, it's, uh, the T-Rex can only be found in North America. So it can't be found in Europe, can't be found elsewhere. But Europe and Asia, they have their own unique sets. So um, there's uh, lots of opportunity for not just different specimens, but then also um, different opportunities to create different rules that are more appropriate and different mechanics. So um, in the holotype theme, there's uh, plenty of opportunity for, uh, to explore the other continents for sure. I think if even you could take this, like, like as I'm hearing you talk about that, even archaeology in general, Right. Like if you want to take the same idea of publishing papers, doing digs, research yeah. papers. Yeah. I mean, you could do that with Egyptology, right? You could do that mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, digging in Greece, you know, Pompeii. Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like you've kind of the mechanics you fi- you figured out could be applied to many different things, even outside of dinosaurs yeah. uh, in other yeah. iterations in the future, I guess, if you wanted to. Right. Oh, no, easily. absolutely. Yeah. Especially with yep. that science-based bend to it, yeah. Well, I'll definitely be looking for it for myself. Um, but guys, I just want to congratulate you again on what Thank an you. amazing Thanks. campaign you've had here. Again, twelve days left. If people want to follow this campaign, I am putting a link directly in the show notes. Click on it, check it out. If you don't want to follow the link, just go on to Kickstarter and type in Holotype. You'll find the campaign. Check it out. At the very least, watch the video of these guys doing the museum because it is it is cool. And the fact Thank that you guys you. were able to pull that off, I thought was just absolutely awesome. So I want to wish you all the best in this coming Thank year. Thank you. Thank so you so much. much. Thanks Take for the opportunity guys. to speak with you today too. Really appreciate it. No worries. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.